time. It's good to see everybody on this Wednesday. Everybody's got the dreaded back to school coming up tomorrow. Who's dreaded? <laughs> you know who we need to pray for. We need to pray for our, we got two teachers in the house. And then we've got a couple college students. Right? When do you go back, Elizabeth? The 17th. She's got a few more weeks, but but what? Yeah, she's never on a break. She's in perpetual, consistent school mode. So, Father, right now we lift up our teachers and our college students as well. Father, we thank you that this is going to be a great year. Uh, just as we prayed over our children this weekend, that they would be a light in the midst of darkness in their schools. Father, I thank you for godly teachers. I thank you for teachers that love you, love the Lord, and understand that those children are vessels that they get to invest in every single day, every single week. Father, I thank you for wisdom and encouragement from the inside out, Father. I thank you that they'll be able to stir themselves up, build themselves up, even when there's nothing coming from the outside, Father. I thank you that they will be able to encourage themselves in the Lord. Just as David did, Father, I thank you for a great year this year, a great school year for our college students as they return back. Uh, Father, I thank you that uh, they will have spiritual wisdom, spiritual discipline. Father, I thank you that you cause them to excel in all areas in the name of Jesus. Everyone said amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We prayed over all of our our youngins, elementary, uh, this past weekend, and we left out some of our other back-to-school individuals, so exciting, exciting week. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 9, title of my message tonight is, I give up. Everyone say, I give up. You ever felt like just giving up? I'm going to talk to you tonight about why it's good to give up. Yeah, you, you want to hear this one, right? You, this is the time where you, this is where you want to wave the flag and you just want to say, I give up. I give up. Because tonight we're going to talk about discipleship. We're talking about what it means to be a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus. And here in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says this. He says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Everyone say daily. Oh, man. You had to put daily in there, didn't you? You just couldn't. You couldn't just leave it alone, Jesus. You couldn't just say, take up your cross once. No, he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Verse 24, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. How many of you know that you save what's valuable? Right? Nobody likes to just save junk. Anybody ever seen that show? Uh, hoarders or whatever it is. It's just a bunch of people saving garbage, right? And then someone else comes in their house and says, why are you saving this? And for some reason, that newspaper clipping is valuable to them. They just can't let it go. But you save what's valuable. And so he's basically saying here, if you value your life to the point where you want to save it, you're going to lose it. But if you will lose your life for my sake, then it will become valuable. Your life doesn't become valuable until you give it up. <laughs> it doesn't become valuable until you let go of it. 
you know, this is just the way God operates in the kingdom, that something doesn't gain value until you let it go. See, the world tells you it's only valuable if you, can't, if you hang on to it, if you keep it, and keep it near to you. But God says, if, it re- if you really want to get value out of it, let me have it. Amen. Verse 25, for what profit? That means how is it going to be profitable? How is it going to gain you anything? Right? Profit is if I, if I spend 50 bucks setting up a lemonade stand and I make $51, I made how much profit? One dollar. That's profit. That's what's extra beyond what I spent. So he says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but still loses himself? Is himself destroyed or lost? That means there's nothing in the world that you could gain that will equal the value that you're worth. That's what that means. Because if, I've, if I have sacrificed myself and then gained the world, I haven't regained value. It's not profitable to me. I've spent 50 but only made 20. You see what he's saying here. So what profit is it? Verse uh, 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and is in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Skip over to Luke chapter 14. We're talking about discipleship. How many of you know discipleship comes with a cost? We're talking about giving up. And tonight I want to teach you that there comes a point in our lives where we have to actually give up. Because you won't gain until you first give Starting with verse 25. Now look at this. It says, now great multitudes went with him. Jesus had a lot of people follow him. There's multiple times that you'll see uh, in the scripture, in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where it says that multitudes follow Jesus. Many people. We know on record that there were times it was 5,000, 5,000, not including the women and children. So we could easily double, almost triple those accounts. We're talking thousands of people. Jesus knew how to get a crowd. And so it says here that great multitudes went with him. But what we're going to find out here is that Jesus was after quality, not quantity. And he does not define followership or you following him by just a matter of chasing me around everywhere. Because, see, there's some people that follow Jesus this way. When I need you, I'll call you. If you've got something for me, I'll come look for you. When, when I need something, I know that you're the one that can come give it to me. But that's not the type of followership that Jesus is defining. He says this in verse 26. If anyone comes to me but does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, He cannot be my disciple. Sounds like a strong statement. But this word hate is not the word hate that we know to mean ill will or disregard for. He means priority. He's talking about priority here. He's saying if if natural stuff has a higher priority than I do, you won't be able to be my disciple. Now, he's not saying you cannot in the sense that I won't accept you. He's saying you cannot in the sense it's not possible. 
It's impossible to be a follower of Jesus until you've given something up. It's impossible to be a follower of Jesus if Jesus isn't the priority is what he's saying here. If I do not take the top ring, if I do not come first, if I do not, if I am not made the highest priority in your life, it's impossible to follow me is what he's stating here. We go on verse 27 and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? Look at your neighbor and say, count the cost. Count the cost whether he has enough to finish it. Whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. It's impossible to finish if if you don't make Jesus first impossible to finish or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him or with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that means to give up he uh, uh, does not forsake all or give up all that he has cannot be my disciple. Tonight we're going to talk about giving up. Giving up. There is always a cost associated with following Jesus. There's always a cost. Um, you, you know, anytime, you know, my my wife likes to bring things to my attention that we need to purchase. She's real good at doing that. She's real good at finding stuff to buy. There's all, it's always on sale, as if I'm saving something. It's called a discount. It's called a discount, right? What, what's the discount? And I'm always, asking, I'm always asking the question, what's the cost, right? Because you see the item... And I see the dollar. That's, that's all I see. I see a dollar sign and numbers that follow that. And, and, and hopefully there's only one digit in front of the period uh, rather than, you know, if there's more digits on the left side than there are on the right side, we've got a problem. No. Any guys in the house tonight can agree with me on that? Except for when it's tools or a vehicle or, right, yeah. Right. See, I, I my, but, but see, my wife has has got this down. She will find a bunch of little items that add up to one thing. I find the one high dollar item, and then that's it, man. That's all I need. I don't need a bunch of little things. Just get me the one thing that's just. Let's just knock it all out at one time. Get it done with. Because once we start adding all this stuff up, we find out that your stuff equals my stuff, anyways. And what happens is, is we devalue it based upon the amount, right? And so we're looking for the discount. But he says count the cost, not discount the cost. And see, I think there's a lot of Christians that are looking for the discount. I want half off. I want half me, half you. Or can I get this 75% off? I'll give you, I'll give you 25% of me, and, and I'll get 75% of you. Right? 
And so we're looking for the discount. But he doesn't say discount the cost. He says count the cost. That means before you get in, know what you're buying. Isn't that terrible when you get, some, you get somewhere to the checkout lane? You got a line of people, and then you find out that what you have in your hands more than what you thought it was. We didn't count the cost. We didn't take it by the little scanner, you know, and find out how much it is. Uh, or, you know, it was in the wrong place. Anybody ever done that? It was in the, sa- it was in the sales section. Man, that said 10% off. I'm sorry, sir, this is full price. Go try again. I found it over here. And every now and then you find the nice people that are like, okay, whatever. Target's real good about that. Target, man, you go up there. And, and, I mean, I'm not telling you to lie or cheat, okay? You already know where I'm going. We're not telling anybody to lie or cheat. But, I mean, if you say, man, that was in this certain section. Oh, okay. I'm sure there's a lot of people that take advantage of that, but not kingdom people, right? We are honest. Amen. Okay, I got a couple amens. All right. Some of you are feeling the con- I mean, I just did that last night, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know how they are. God, Jesus isn't looking for a discount. He wants, God is an individual. He wants all or none. All or none. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom. I, I love the fact that he says, seek first the kingdom. Like, okay, so after you seek me first, then you can go seek other stuff. But that's not what he's stating. He's saying, if you would just seek me first, you'd find out that that would be all the seeking you would ever have to do. You would never have to seek anywhere else. If you'd just come to me first, make me priority is what he's saying, then all the things that you thought you needed will come run you down. They'll come find you. They will seek you. And so we understand that there is always a cost associated with discipleship, with followership. You know, you can always identify how far someone is willing to go by how much they're willing to give. I'll say that again. You can always identify how far someone is willing to go by how much they're willing to give. Because the further you go, the more you give up. Now, I'm not just talking about giving up because we're going to find out that in the kingdom, when you give up, you gain back. In the kingdom, when you give up, you gain back. But how far you're willing to go is always determined by how much you're willing to give up. You know, I, I've, I've, I haven't been in ministry for a super long time, but I've been on staff, and then I've been, uh, you know, obviously a senior pastor with the staff. And I, I'm always able to identify how far people are willing to go with me by how much they're willing to give up. And, and, and the same thing, there, there, there came a place, uh, a time and place that I moved from Texas to Florida to serve under a man. But I got distracted and how much I was willing to give up didn't align with how far I wanted to go. And I stunted myself. It wasn't my pastor's fault. It wasn't anybody else's around me fault. It wasn't my best friend's fault. It wasn't my wife's fault. It was my fault because I quit giving, so I quit going. And so what I want to highlight tonight is that there has always been this struggle. There's always been this struggle that if I want to live for God, I have to not live for myself. There's always a denial. There's always a giving up 
that has to take place. Everyone say, I give up. I give up. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. You'll find out that from the very beginning that, that God actually created it to be this way. That man has always been in a position where he's had to give something up to follow God. You know, you know we, we, we say, you know, I just want to be led by God. I want to be led. I want to follow Jesus, man. I just want to follow Jesus. I want to take up my cross and follow Jesus. And following God or being led by God means that you cannot be led by yourself, by your flesh. And what, that, what the flesh identifies is your will, your intentions, your motives, your priorities. That's your flesh. When I say give your flesh up, I'm talking about what I want, what I want to do in this situation. There's always has to be a denying of yourself. Look at this in Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 15. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? Tend and keep it. Man's given a responsibility. God has given man a responsibility. Tend the garden. Keep the garden. But now watch this. But of, uh, and verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of, uh, eat of it, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. God doesn't lead by force. He leads by choice. So that means if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow him by choice, not because you have to. Nobody follows Jesus because they have to. Nobody just does the right thing because they have to. Nobody aligns their life with God's word or God's will for your life just because, uh, you know, well, I, I said that prayer. Now just everything in my life just seems to automatically align with what God wants me to do. How, anybody found that to be the case? I don't think so. It's not automatic. I, I don't know one Christian, I don't know one believer that hasn't at some point had this question, what is God's will for my life? Why? Because I know he has a will for me, and I need to discover that so I can do that. I can't do God's will until I discover God's will. And I want to live. I, I mean, just about every believer that I, it's very rare that I've met a Christian or a believer that says, you know, I don't really care about what God wants me to do, you know. Because then, you, I mean, are we really saved? Are we really even in the kingdom? It begs the question. But Christians want to live for God. Christians want to do God's will. And Adam and Eve here know God's will. Don't eat of that tree. Now, here's what that tree identifies. It is the knowledge of good and evil. At this point, Adam and Eve only know good. They don't know evil. And so this tree is the knowledge of good and evil. This tree symbolizes independence from God. It's a word, you may have heard it, it's called autonomy. That means self-rule. That means I make the choice. I rule myself. And so God is putting them in a position right here off the bat. We're only two chapters in. 
like a chapter and a half in. He's already, he's created everything in seven days. Now he's talking to Adam and he's giving him commands. He's telling him, be fruitful and multiply. Hey, go name all these animals. Uh, you know, I've given you every tree to eat except for this one. And this one is what will determine if you really want to follow me or not. This tree is here to determine how far you're willing to go because it's going to reveal how much you're willing to give up. How far do you want to go with me? It's determined by how much you want to give up. Are you willing to give up the fact that you don't know everything and you have to rely on me? Because, see, if you can lead yourself, then you don't need God. If you could do it all yourself, if you're the ones that's in charge, then why would we need God? If we had the ability on our own to lead ourselves and rule ourselves and make our own decisions, then why would I need God in my life to help direct my paths and make my, give me a straight path to walk on? Why would I have to know what the will of God, what is good and perfect? And why would I have to know those things? But see, no, God wanted us to live a life following him. God wanted us to live a life that gave ourselves up at the cost of serving him. And, and notice all the blessing that comes to Adam and Eve. No, I mean, we are constantly trying to get back to that. I mean, we, we just, we want to get back to, there's only four perfect chapters in the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2, and then Revelations 21 and 22. And everything else is a mess because man wants to rule himself. See, we say we want to go back to Eden. We say we want to go back there, but we have to recognize that going back to Eden means we strip ourselves of ourselves. We lay down our will. We lay down our desires. We lay down our motives and priorities, and we take on God's priorities. And so right here, right out the gate, God is setting man in a position that you're going to give something up if you're going to go where I want you to go. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll see this in action. Everyone say, I give up. I'll tell you what, it's good to give up. In this case. It's good to give up. It's good to give yourself up. It's good to lay yourself down. It's good to deny yourself and forsake uh, all that you have and go after Jesus. The great thing about the kingdom is what you gain always is greater than what you gave up. What you gain is always better than the cost. Don't you hate paying for something that you know what you got in return isn't worth it? Nobody enjoys that. But I can tell you this is the greatest deal on the planet is I lay down myself which can't figure it out all any uh, figure all of it out anyways and I can take on God's ability, God's power, God's uh, nourishment, God's ability working in and through my life. And just like Paul said, in my weakness, I'm made strong through his grace. That's what God wants us to do. That's how God wants us to live. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 15 is a story of a man named Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And in verse 1 it says this, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now the anointing had to be on the king because the king could not operate as a king on his own ability. 
That means that even to be a king in the earth, you had to do it with God's help. You see, you, you, you see that? The anointing had to be upon the king. A king operating without the anointing is doing it all by himself, and that God did not design it to be that way. And so he's saying, I've been, I, the Lord sent me to anoint you. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Look at that. Now, therefore, since you have been anointed by God to fulfill this role, heed the words of God. How many times do we get anointed to do something God's called us to do, but then do it the way we want to do it? It doesn't work that way. If you're going to do God's work, you have to follow God's word. Somebody tweet or Facebook or write that down because it's not in my notes. I don't know if I can say it again. To do God's work, you have to follow God's word. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He's got to give that one back to me. To do God's work, you've got to follow God. You can't do God's work your way. We've got to follow his word. He says, God anointed you, so now God's directing you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. God, do you think you're holding a grudge there a little bit? I mean, he's going all the way back to Egypt. He's going all the way back to Moses. And, you know, we're all the way up here with King Saul. I mean, we're talking thousands of years have gone by, and and God's still saying, now I'm going to take care of this. Isn't that amazing? Just a little side note. This one's free. No extra charge for this. God remembers those that have hurt you. And God knows how to repay. He said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You don't even have to deal with it. God remembers all of it. God remembers all of it, and he knows how to cover it. He knows how to fulfill it. He knows how to restore it, and he knows how to heal it. So let God do what God does. Amen? Verse 3, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together. Numbered them. I'm going to skip on down. So Saul gets the people together. They go. They attack the Amalekites. And go on down to verse, uh, uh, let's look at verse 9. Verse 9. Look at this. But Saul and the people spared Agat. Now, I, I might be mistaken, but we just read God didn't use the word spare anywhere in there. He didn't use the word save anywhere in there. Remember, you save what's valuable. Nothing in that group, nothing that he named was worth saving. And so now King Saul is determining on his own authority what's worth saving. See, sometimes we think we can save our own life. Just as Jesus said, he who uh, uh, doesn't or he who saves his own life loses it. Right? See, now you're calling something valuable that God has already said is not valuable. Now we're already trying to put a value on something that God has already determined. No, it's not. It's not. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. 
Good to who? Good to Saul. Because none of it was good to God. None of it was good to God. And were unwilling, unwilling to utterly destroy them. Everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. What's the value? Who's determining the value here? Why? That'd be like going to the store. That'd be like going to Walmart because they're good at discounts. That'd be, that'd be like going uh, to Walmart and they say, hey, this box of cereal, uh, we've discounted for a dollar. You say, you know what? I think it's worth five. I'll give you five. Who would do that? Who would, who would give somebody something more than what they have even said? So why are you replacing a value on something that God has already devalued? They're the ones determining the worth here. And all that was good, and then they determine what is worthless. And say, okay, we'll we'll take care of that. So verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. Not even for God. Now Saul is celebrating himself, not his God. See, what happens is, is if you don't get yourself out of the way, yourself will get in the way. Let me tell you why God is so hard on this right here. Because he's already had someone try to upstage him with his ego up in heaven. And he cast him down with a third of the angels. Got rid of him. Said, you are no longer welcome here. Get out. The loving God that we serve. Why? Because nobody comes before God. The first commandment was, have no other gods before me. Do you think he meant you could have other gods after me? No. He means only me. Period. All or nothing. He's not saying, as long as I'm first, then you can worship whatever else you want. As long as you go to church on Sunday, then you can spend the rest of the week doing whatever you want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, there are no other gods beside me. I am the only one. So if you try to get in the way of me, is what he's he's identifying here. And so now Saul has set up a monument, not to God, to himself. See, if we're not careful, if we don't lay ourselves down, we'll find value in ourselves. And we'll put ourselves up in front of God like we've done something. And so we keep on reading here. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed, oh gosh, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? I have a message that I've preached called, Why are dead things talking? Why are dead things talking? These things are supposed to be dead. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. And Samuel said, when you were little, watch this, 
When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? These interesting words he's identifying here. When you were little in your own eyes. God is looking for people that will not get themselves out of serving God. He's looking for people. Now, when, we're not talking about being. This isn't a message on insecurity. This isn't a message on struggling with my value and my self-worth. Your value is now in the new birth. We're talking about fleshly desires, motives, and intentions. Remember that. Priorities of the flesh that override and overrule what God wants for you. Okay? So hear me on this. I'm not talking about, oh, I'm just nothing. I'm just a, a sorry, humble sinner, you know, just coming before the Lord. That's not what he's saying. Because when you get in the kingdom and when you take on the new life, man, you're the most valuable thing on the planet. There's nothing to devalue. There's nothing to diminish here. But he's saying when you were little in your own eyes, that, that means when I was bigger in your eyes. When I played a greater role in your life. When you followed my direction and my wisdom and my commandments. And you put your priorities and your will and your intentions aside. When you were little in your own eyes. And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them. Until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. See, he, he's so blinded here. When, when, when you are so consumed with your will and your intentions, you won't even know the voice of the Lord. You won't even know if you are in alignment or not. You will be deceived. The tough thing about deceived people is they're deceived. You can't point them down the right path. We got an argument happening. I mean, we have record. I mean, we can go to King Saul and say, dude, it's written down, man. Here's the commandment of the Lord. We have record of what he said. And he's still arguing. But I have obeyed. I did go on the mission. This guy is so consumed with his own will and his own desires that he doesn't even remember the word from Samuel in the first place. This is why we got to give ourselves up. But the people took of the plunder. Now he's blaming somebody else. But the people took of the plunder, sheep. And oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And we know these words. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. See, the real sacrifice that God was looking for here wasn't animals, wasn't the best, wasn't uh, the, the, the good stuff that they could find. The sacrifice that God was looking for here was Saul's will. 
the greatest sacrifice you can ever give to God is yourself. The greatest sacrifice you can ever make is putting your will down, putting your flesh down, putting your desires, your motives, your intentions, and your priorities on the altar and saying, I'm going to do what you want me to do. That's discipleship. And discipleship comes with the cost. How much you're willing to give up will determine how far you're willing to go. King Saul could no longer go any further because he was no longer willing to give. In the beginning, he was little in his own eyes, anointed of the Lord to do what God called him to do. But he ran the risk that every leader runs. It's amazing in the Bible, I think there's over 300 leaders mentioned throughout the Bible. And I don't even think we have 100 good ones. I think someone gave me a statistic, was it 70 or 75 good leaders in the Bible? And every single one of them were consumed with themselves. The wrong ones, the bad ones. Consumed with themselves. You are your own worst enemy when it comes to following God. It's a battle of wills. It's a battle of wills. Every day. That's why Jesus said, you got to take up your cross daily. Because I could take up my cross today and decide to put it down tomorrow. That's a decision that can be made at any moment. But if you want to be led, you've got to learn to let go of yourself. He says, uh, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, stubbornness is as iniquity, and idolatry. You've made yourself an idol. You'd rather worship yourself and what you've done than me and what I've done. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Powerful words here. Guys, ultimately what God is looking for He's looking for us to give up ourselves. He's looking for us to sacrifice ourselves. He wants us to sacrifice our will for his word. He wants us to sacrifice our will for his word. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, look, come, follow me. And not one of them entered discipleship without Letting go of something. I mean, I'm always doing things as leaders to determine. I mean, I I remember my pastor did it to me. He was testing me even when I had no idea I was being tested. I had no idea. And sometimes I'd figure it out and sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I failed. I can stand before you until I haven't passed every test, but I have learned from every test. I've learned from every test. And I've come to understand that the only way I'm going to gain in life is if I learn to let go in life. Chase, if you'd come up. The only way I'm going to gain, he said, uh, John the Baptist said, I've got to decrease so he can increase. 
I'm going to tell you right now, there's no increasing you can do on your own that God can't do better. There's, there's no increase. I, I, I've seen it. I mean, we, we see it all around us. We, we see people that do well in life. We see people that do good in life. We see people that do well financially. There's good parents out there. There's good teachers out there. There's good businessmen out there. But how much greater could it be if we can let ourselves go and let God begin to rule in our lives? This is the struggle that man has dealt with from the beginning when we'll always deal with. Even when it was perfect, man still had to make the decision to lay myself down and follow God. You realize you will never be free from that because then it wouldn't be love. If you can't say, I chose to follow God, then it's not love. You don't want to serve a God that makes you do it. You want to serve a God that allows you to make the decision on the inside. Say, I chose to lay myself down, take up my cross, and follow him. We've got 12 disciples that are recorded that did just that. And we know that there were a bunch that did it. There were people that came to Jesus and said, hey, hey, I'll come follow you. First, let me go bury my father. He said, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. Jesus said this, no man puts his hand to the plow and looks back. That man's not fit for the kingdom of God. It's not fit for the kingdom of God. I love the story of Elisha. When Elijah tagged him, and if you read it, uh, it says Elisha was out in the field uh, plowing the field with his cattle. Plowing the field with his cattle. And so Elijah tagged him and said, hey, tag, you're it. So he gets up and he goes back. He burns all the equipment. He kills the cattle and burns them. And then goes and follows. What's he saying? There's nothing to come back to. I'm not even going to leave myself the opportunity to come back to this. It's the cost. It's the price I'm willing to pay to follow God. And he saw double of everything that Elijah happened to his life. That's the attitude we got to have. That's the attitude we got to have. We'll burn it. Burn the lifestyle behind you. Burn what's left behind. It's not worth going back to. Your desires, your intentions, your motives, your priorities are not worth it. Take on God's will. Take on God's desires every single day. Father, we thank you tonight that as true followers of Jesus, true followers of your word, Father, I thank you that we have paid the price and will continue to count the cost to follow you. There is nothing in this life worth gaining, but everything in this life is worth giving up so that we can gain Christ, so that we can gain your power and your work in our life. Father, there's so much you can do in our lives, but it's determined by what we're willing to give up. How far we'll go is determined by how much we're willing to give. Father, we thank you that we give sacrificially. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to put our flesh down. Sometimes there's a way that we think, hey, this will work. This will, I, I can make it happen this way. I don't have to 
answer this way. I don't have to talk this way. I don't have to do it this way. But, Father, when we align ourselves with your word, that's when we receive your blessing. That's when we receive, when we make your word a priority, you promised that if we seek you first, all these things would, would be added unto us. Added. Gain. Profit. We want to end up with more than what we spent. So, Father, we thank you tonight that we count the cost. We lay ourselves down for the kingdom of God. We give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.